All right, so uh, we're at the second epistle of Peter in chapter 1. And um, you know, of course, that some preachers like to use alliteration for their headings. Um, It uh, helps keep the preacher on track, of course, but it helps the uh, congregation to remember the points as they come out. Well, Peter's two epistles uh, lend themselves to brilliant alliteration using the letters F-T. In the first epistle, he is writing to warn his uh, hearers or his readers of the fiery trial that was set before them and uh, and uh, how uh, they would need the help of the Lord. Just to turn back a page here or two. Uh, he goes through the usual greeting and then... Um, Uh, from verse 6 of chapter 1 in the first epistle. uh, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to uh, encourage them during that time of trial. And... um, In the second epistle, uh, it is uh, using the letters FT, false teachers who are coming into the church. And so um, uh, there have always been the false teachers. Uh, Paul warned the Ephesian elders in his parting comments when he said to them, I know that you'll see my face no more. But uh, he warned them that there would be ravenous wolves coming among them to destroy their faith. And so in the first epistle of Peter, it is the fiery trial, the persecution that was coming uh, from Rome, but persecution also from the Jewish nation for the Christians. <clears throat> and, um, and so he, he wrote that first epistle to encourage them. Uh, here in the second epistle, he's talking about the false teachers. But before we do that, we're going to do some divine arithmetic here in chapter 1. Uh, He really uh, opens this subject of the false teachers in chapter 2. But uh, firstly, he's going to take us through some arithmetic or mathematics that may be called today. Um, And uh, and so, um, you know, of course, if you have to work out a little uh, adding and subtracting and multiplying, dividing, the order in which you do them, the multiply, divide first, and then the addition and subtraction, well... Peter actually follows that, that um, progress. And so um, just to read from chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, 
to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Well, our Lord's blessing be on the reading of his word this morning. So then, uh, firstly, we come to the common denominator. Uh, What do the numbers 18, 33, 48, 51 have in common? What is their common denominator? All of those numbers can be divided by three. What is it that we, you and I as Christians, have in common with Peter and James and John and Paul and then coming down through the centuries, William Tyndale, uh, D.L. Moody and uh, the hymn writers, Isaac Watts and uh, Fanny Crosby. What do we have in common with them? We have it here uh, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Regardless of who we are, what our background is, what nationality, what colour of skin, where we are on the social scale uh, or the um, professional scale or any other, uh, any other thing that would divide people, for those who are saved, we have a saviour and the same saviour who is rich unto all. So he has called us Uh, and uh, by his calling us this like precious faith have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises uh, that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature so regardless of who we are these blessings truly are ours and uh, and so that same divine uh, that same like precious faith makes that divine power to enable us to live lives that truly are well-pleasing to him. He gives us the same great and precious promises that we can totally rely upon and believe and take for ourselves. So there is a common common, uh, denominator. But uh, we go now to the multiplication and this is unique to Peter, and well, it's not unique to him, but the, the wording of it is in his epistles, <coughs> where he said here in verse 3, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So here is the multiplication, that grace and peace be multiplied. Very similar to the first epistle, where uh, it just changed the word order around, grace to you and peace be multiplied and so uh, this is the multiplication that not only grace and peace uh, as a as a uh, defined amount but be multiplied for this to be uh, really really um, tremendous in itself but of course having uh, these the uh, grace and peace and this uh, common denominator like precious faith 
there is also that dividing line and uh, we have this here in Uh, at the end of verse uh, 4, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, uh, having escaped the corruption, there must come a dividing line in a person who becomes a Christian. We cannot trust the Lord for salvation and just sit back and just let uh, everything coast along as it was before and carry on with the same Uh, things that we did before. If there's going to be this division, we now have this new nature that Peter just told us about and uh, this comes at the moment of conversion. Well, so too does this dividing line and now this is going to have an effect on the way we face life. It will have an effect on our appetite, our spiritual appetite. We will delight to do those things which are well-pleasing to God. It will also uh, have an effect on our associations, uh, people who have no time at all for the Lord with whom we used to associate. Well, those old friends, they drop away because we've come into a new circle of friendship. Those who have, like us, received this like precious faith and those with whom we can enjoy rich fellowship indeed. We delight in the company of those rather than uh, with our old uh, friends. Now, that's not to say that we are not to have non-Christian friends, not for one moment. We must have our non-Christian friends as well, but we must be uh, in a place where we can um, maintain a good and godly witness to our friends. And not only that, uh, this uh, dividing line will determine... Uh, our behaviour in all things and also our environment, places where we might have gone at one time, no longer would they appeal to us, but we delight to come and join with other Christians on occasions such as this. Now we come to the addition, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So how do you become a Christian? By grace are you saved? Through faith. The grace of God through faith. I hear the gospel message. I hear that I am a sinner and my own heart tells me, yes, I am. And so I own my sins before God. But his grace has reached out to me and by faith I put my trust in him. So we become Christians by grace through faith. Now... We, as I said before, we do not sit back, coast along and carry on as we did before. But when a person becomes a Christian, he's born again, like a newborn babe. And uh, Peter elsewhere tells us, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. That is baby food. And of course, a new Christian knows nothing And so he's got to be fed baby food, as it were, the simple things of the gospel. But surely we must not stay there. If if babies were still being fed milk at age six and eight and ten years of age, you would say there's something very, very wrong here because we move on to stronger food. And so it is with the Christian life. We move to stronger food. So uh, here we have a list of things to be added to our faith. 
giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is that moral excellence, the courage to say no to temptation. Because once you become a Christian, Satan does not let you go. You receive a new nature, yes. You are born again into God's family, yes. But you still have the old nature. And so there are pressures put upon us uh, from, from our own fleshly nature, from our environment around about us, but also from uh, satanic attack as well. The first epistle, satanic attack, came to the Christians there through persecution. And uh, in the warning in chapter 5 of First uh, Peter is that... Um, uh, be on your guard against the devil who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And this was the, the attempt by Satan in those times. He came as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's more subtle in the second one. He comes in that other uh, uh, facet of his, the other act of his, and that is he transforms himself into an angel of light and so we have these uh, false teachers coming into the church surreptitiously and leading astray God's people, destroying their faith if he would be able to do that. And so we have uh, Satan presented to us as, uh, or knowledge of Satan presented to us both as a roaring lion but also as an angel of light. And there is that aggressive uh, part of those who would be against us but there is also that subtle and, uh, and, and so forth there. So we add to our faith virtue, the ability to say no to temptation and to, to behave as we should and to virtue we add to virtue knowledge. Now our knowledge of God should increase more and more and uh, we, we get this from reading the Bible, from um, joining with other Christians and sharing experiences, but, but our knowledge should increase also. So to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Self-control is uh, self-discipline and, uh, and, you know, not to give in and say, oh, look, I just couldn't help myself, but self-control to be able to um, have command of yourself to live a disciplined life and then uh, also uh, patience at your at your virtue knowledge to knowledge uh, self-control to self-control perseverance or in the authorized version uh, patience and uh, and so patience is uh, waiting on God for his good time. Uh, a patient endurance that is content to wait upon God, working out his perfect plan. I, I think of uh, Abraham in this regard. God had made a covenant with Abraham, uh, Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham would be a great nation. Up until this time, uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah, or Abram and Sarai as their names were then, God changed their names later on, but 
They were getting on in years and had no children and it was looking very unlikely that they would have any and yet God made this covenant with Abram that he would be the father of a great nation. Uh, He was asked to leave his own country, go to a place that God would show him. When he got there, God said to this, I I will give this land to you. But um, due to a famine, Abram went down to uh, Egypt and he came back with uh, a servant for his uh, wife, Sarai, uh, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai put it up to him, well, look, it's clear that I'm not going to have any children. We need to give God a hand here. We need to give him a helping hand. And so uh, Abram had a son by Sarai, Ishmael, and, of course, the results of that are still with us today in the world. But, um, but this patience is waiting on, on, um, waiting on God for his good time. Actually, as I was looking at these in the preparation, I was trying to uh, think of examples of uh, persons from the Old Testament who could fit into these as, as uh, we were going along. And, uh, and so as, as I, um, you know, someone whose qualities would really stand out for these various uh, virtues or graces that we have here... <coughs> And uh, coming back to the first one, faith. Uh, now, who would be an outstanding person of faith in Old Testament times? Well, uh, you can have an easy springboard for this one. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11, and there are those heroes of faith of Old Testament times, and you can take your pick on them. But I'd like to choose one whose name is not there. We read about her in Second Kings chapter 5. We don't know her name, but she's only a little girl. She's a captive maid. The Syrians had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and they'd uh, taken captives away. And among their captives was uh, just a young girl. Uh, We don't know how young, but uh, she was made to be a servant girl in the home of an army general, Naaman. And uh, he was, uh, he, th- there's a glowing description given of Naaman there in Second Kings chapter 5. And then towards the end you have that terrible word, but, but. And the whole page is blotted, but he was a leper. Now this little girl, she said to Naaman's wife, she said, Oh, look, if only my master were in Israel, in Samaria, there's a man of God there. He could cure Naaman of that leprosy. Now I call her a real hero of faith. How did she know that? She didn't know of any persons with leprosy who'd been healed. She had not heard of any because there were none. There were no lepers healed at that time. I say this on good authority the greatest authority, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, when he came to the synagogue in Nazareth, as we read in Luke chapter 4, and he read uh, that passage from Isaiah 61, and the people were, hey, what's he telling us here today? This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Does he claim to be the Messiah? And the Lord went on to say, a prophet is not without honour save in his own country. He spoke about the incident in the days of Elijah and then Elisha and he said there were many 
lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha, none of them was healed except Naaman the Syrian. So I ask again, how did this little girl know that the man of God was able to to heal Naaman? There's only one answer, faith. And so I, I include her in the heroes of faith. So when I came to add to your faith virtue, who, who would be a good one, a good example of virtue? And I would go to Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Uh, Abigail, we read of her just after the death of Sol- uh, Samuel, and um, uh, it's later on in First Samuel. And uh, Abigail is that one... Uh, well, David was on the run from King Saul. This is still in First Samuel, so David has been anointed to be king, but Saul is still on the throne. And uh, as uh, he is fleeing from Saul, Saul is out to kill him. David has a, uh, a few men with him, came to Nabal's property, and they actually uh, helped the um, servants of Nabal looking after the sheep and so forth. And then David asked if they could, you know, just have a little food uh, just to satisfy their hunger and so forth. And uh, so the servants went up to Nabal. They said, David wants to know if he can have some food. David? Who's David? He's, he's known as far as I'm concerned. And uh, he, he acted, you know, really, really badly. And David got angry. He was going to have him killed. Well, it was Abigail who intervened and prevented David from... Uh, doing something which would have been uh, totally wrong. So, so I, I would speak of Abigail as a trophy of virtue here and to knowledge. Well, we can't go past Solomon, can we? When the Queen of Sheba came and she saw that all that she had heard not only were true, but the half had not been told. So there was knowledge and uh, uh, patience. Patience, well... Um, the name that springs out uh, in our New Testament uh, of our Old Testament character is in James chapter 5. You've heard of the patience of Job. But uh, I, I would like to uh, suggest for this one, I, I only did this for my own enjoyment as I was preparing, you see, and, uh, and it was a lovely time to try and for me to go through who could I say for patience? And I thought of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, he, he's... Um, listed among the minor prophets and you know we probably don't uh, read Habakkuk from one five years to the next unless we have a continual reading through the scriptures but it was Habakkuk who looked at the people around him he saw all the sin the corruption that was coming in and he, he's thinking to himself doesn't God know what his people are up to and if he does know doesn't he care And, of course, uh, it's a dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord. And the Lord said, yes, I know, and I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans to come in in judgment. The Chaldeans, they're even worse than we are. How can you use them? (laughs) Well, you see, God is in control here. And uh, and so it's it's a delightful dialogue between them. So so when you come to the end of uh, his short prophecy, only three chapters... His words then are, well, though there be no fruit on the vine and the uh, trees will not blossom and the olive shall fail and 
the flock be separate from the fold and no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And so, so here was the man, just the opposite of Abraham. Abraham wanted to have things done now, but God said, no, it's all in hand, it's all in hand. And, uh, and so uh, there, there was Habakkuk, a, a, a wonderful chapter, a wonderful book of only three chapters, but, um, you know, can read through it so quickly, but so very, very beautiful and encouraging. And so uh, just to go on from, from there to godliness and godliness. And uh, for godliness, I thought of Daniel's three friends. Uh, Daniel himself, of course, but Daniel's three friends. When the, the order was given at the sound of the music, you must bow down to this image of the king. And, uh, and so these three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were their Hebrew names. We usually know to call them by their Babylonian names. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, very strange, that. Because Daniel also, Daniel's a Hebrew name, means God is my judge. He was also given a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, but uh, not to be confused with Belshazzar the king, Belteshazzar. And uh, we never called Daniel Belteshazzar, but we always called the other three by their Babylonian names instead of their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. But these three men... When uh, they, they knew what the king's edict was, that they had to bow down at the sound of the music, all the different instruments playing, and they said, no, well, they didn't bow down, so that was reported to the king, so he gave them another chance. And so speaking to the king, then they said, the God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. However, he may choose not to deliver us, but we want you to know this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down. So, you know, godliness, which uh, resulted in the, the courage of these. And then, um, so we add to that um, uh, godliness. This, um, well, this was the emphasis of Peter in his first epistle, to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And, uh, and so there must be that godliness about us as well. Uh, let's have a look now to um, uh, add to our godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness means that uh, wanting what is best for our fellow man. Um, thinking of Micah chapter 6 verse 8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love loving kindness to love mercy, to love loving kindness, to have this attitude toward others, that we want what is best for them, regardless of the cost to ourselves or regardless of how they might respond to that. But brotherly kindness, and, uh, and to brotherly kindness uh, we add love, the divine love, the love of God. Oh, brotherly kindness, uh, for that one I thought of Jephthah, uh, one of the uh, judges in the book of Judges. Uh, we don't know so very much about Jephthah. We, we don't hear of him very often. But he is listed there in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, Jephthah was the one who had this stigma of uh, illegitimate birth. And so for that reason, his half-brothers uh, turfed him out. They said, uh, 
you know, you're not going to be sharing in our father's inheritance. And, uh, and so he became an outlaw, sort of a Robin Hood of the Old Testament for a while. He had a band of fellows equally as bad as he was and going out on raiding parties, uh, robbing the rich, but not to give to the poor, but to look after themselves until the threat came when God's latest threat against the sins of the people during those dark ages of the, of the times of the judges and the Ammonites were coming. And so then his brothers called for him, hey, can you, can you come and uh, be our captain? Can you lead us in this fight against the Ammonites? And he showed brotherly kindness. He, he could have well said, you fight your own battles. You don't want me. Well, I don't need you. But he didn't. He came, and so he is listed there in Hebrews 11, one of the heroes of the faith, bringing about a great victory. And then uh, finally, love. So just to read through them, for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. This is the sacrificial love that God has for each one of us. And so too, uh, when, when we uh, add all of these things to our saving faith by which we became a Christian, Christi, the Christian life is not just something static. It is a progression. And so, um, uh, well, what, what are those numbers that I gave you right at the very beginning? 18, 33, 48, 51. Just as those four numbers added together come to 150, so too do, do um, faith and virtue and knowledge and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love lead up to a useful uh, and a godly Christian life and, um, uh, and, and this really is how it should be. So we need to take these things on board to uh, make them our own and strive in all diligence. We have back there in verse 5, giving all diligence, not just something half-hearted, but, but really working at it to add all of these graces so that they become part of the character testifying that we do worship a God and we seek to make him known to those around about us. So all of these graces then add up to a fruitful and effective Christian life. Uh, verse 8, for if you do these, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then we come to the minus, the next verse. And uh, this is, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. A rather tragic uh, thing, but uh, so true of so many who profess the name of Christ with no joy and, and their living defeated lives and, uh, and giving way to, to that. But they have no peace, the, 
they don't know the peace of God, they have no testimony, and yet they do claim to be Christians, having forgotten that they were uh, cleansed. So, um, you know, let us then just strive to live a dedicated life for the Lord and one that reaches out to the blessing of others. Just to read verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. An abundant entrance into glory when this life is over. Death is the last enemy Death is what brings tears to the families and yet death for the Christian can be a triumph as well and it is a triumph. So uh, make your call and election sure. If you read through these but you find yourself not doing them and, uh, and uh, you know, you're still hankering for the old ways of life and so forth, you have very good reason to think to yourself and to ask yourself, Am I really a Christian at all? Why don't I shun these, uh, this old behaviour and do what is right? So be diligent to make your call and election sure. Make sure that you are truly a saved person. There are many, many people who are members of a church and they go th- through the motions and so forth and yet they don't know the Lord. Even ordained ministers have given their testimony to that effect. It is possible. And so, um, you know, there should be this new appetite, this new behaviour on our part. Uh, We're not saved by works, but works are the product of our being saved. And so so we read here uh, in verse 11, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So whatever doorway the Lord chooses to take us through, whether it be in an accident or whether it be uh, at the hands of violent people or just uh, a a disease, uh, a sickness, or just quietly uh, in old age, everything just shutting down, uh, it can be an abundant entrance indeed. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a great preacher of an early generation. He told of a missionary couple who um, had been in Africa for, uh, for decades and serving the Lord there, and this is in the days of Theodore Roosevelt, so uh, it wasn't air travel. They were returning to their home in America by ship, and on the same ship was Theodore Roosevelt, the president, He'd had a few weeks off to go trekking through Africa and uh, maybe have a trophy or two to pin up on the wall. But, um, but Theodore Roosevelt was on and uh, during the voyage that missionary couple were talking to each other and they said, now when we get to New York, there'll be bands out for the president and people will be flocking around and uh, all the newsmen will be there recording it all and there'll be no one to see us. No one cares about us. Not feeling very, very despondent about it all. And uh, one said to the other, well, perhaps we should just be praying about this. And uh, after they were in prayer for a while, 
uh, the, the man said to his wife, it's all right, dear, it's all right. When I was praying, a sense of calm just came over me. And the Lord said to me, you're not home yet. Forget about the bands, forget about the pageantry and everything else. You're not home yet. Let's go for the abundant entrance into the glory when this life here is over. Our Father, we bow before your presence in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. We give you thanks for your word. We thank you that we can add to our faith knowledge. And we thank you that we have this knowledge available to us in the word of God. Various translations and, uh, and that we have this freedom to meet in this way. But Father, we do pray that we will add knowledge and all of the other graces there as well so that our Christian walk will truly be fruitful. It will be effective so that we will be able to say with Habakkuk, though all else is collapsing around me, still I will rejoice in the Lord and joy in the God of my salvation. Part us now with your blessing, we ask, as we return our thanks in our Saviour's precious name. Amen.